The government's coronavirus advice has continued to change. Suddenly, seismic political juggernaut political decisions are being taken on a daily basis, and Downing Street's operating on the edge. But why are so many doctors still concerned about the strategy? What's very clear is that if we have an uncontrolled epidemic, we will get to a situation where the health system will be simply overwhelmed by the number of sick people. This is Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, has the government done enough? The behind-the-scenes story of the government's attempts to tackle the virus. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Friday night, just two hours after the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson made an unprecedented announcement. We are collectively telling, telling cafes, pubs, bars and restaurants to close tonight as soon as they reasonably can. And I head out in a cab to see if the public is heeding the request. Ben Bardis is my Uber driver. Like everyone, he's shocked. People are staying home. People are freaking, you know, scared to get out and... This is so weird. We're going through some of the busiest parts of London, but... I've never seen a lot of like this before. It's like empty street. We know they're empty. Streets are completely empty. It's just the occasional motorbike with a takeaway delivery service. All the restaurants here, this is normally a bustling street. Nothing. Everyone's shut up shop. Not every street in London, or the rest of the UK, is like this. Not everyone is taking the new policy of social distancing and social isolation seriously. By Sunday evening, the traffic's back. It's quieter, but there are people out on the streets. The pubs and the bars and the restaurants are shut, but people are congregating around supermarkets. God only knows how social distancing works there. Nobody's quite sure what the new rules are. What is the new normal? So is the government's message cutting through? How did we get to the point where the government can announce some of the biggest interventions since World War II, but many people still seem to be unclear about what exactly the plan is? I'm Stephen Swinford, I'm the Times' Deputy Political Editor and I've been covering this coronavirus from Westminster um, as it's unfolded. I'm speaking from my home as we we get ready for, for another week of seismic events ahead as the government tries to get a grip on this. The political reporters at the Times and the Sunday Times have had a front row seat as the coronavirus crisis has escalated. As a reporter, you look at it as a story and you think this is an extraordinary story and there's a level of adrenaline in reporting it. 
So that side is one half of your brain. And then I, I tend to find, and, and Francis Elliott, our political editor, is in the same position, that we get to the end of the days and we think, this is awful. And you ring up your parents and your grandparents and you have very difficult conversations with them. I've never covered anything like it before. It makes Brexit pale into insignificance. The other day we were sitting there, Boris Johnson had just finished giving his... This was on Monday, I think, the first one when he said that everyone's got to socially distance and we'd, no one had been expecting that scale of advice. And there was a moment when, when myself and Francis just sat there in the office completely stunned by it. And then I said, well, we, we'd better get the online copy up then, right? So we're, <laughs> it's, uh, it's unprecedented times and it is strange to cover it. I think we're going to... in. In coming weeks, as the death toll rises and rises and rises, it's going to get worse. Today we've published the Coronavirus Action Plan, setting out how all four parts of the It's UK... been 20 days since the Prime Minister gave his first press conference about the virus. Our country remains extremely well prepared, as it has been since the outbreak began in Wuhan several months ago. That was Tuesday the 3rd of March. Confirmed coronavirus cases in the UK at the time, 51. Deaths at that point, zero. I was there for that press conference and it, it, there was a massive disconnect between what was happening publicly in Downing Street and what was going on behind the scenes in the sage group of government advisers. I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody, uh, you'll be pleased to know, and, and I continue to shake hands. And uh, uh, I... So while Boris was talking about still shaking people's hands, behind the scenes scientists were getting very, very worried. So there has been a consistent disconnect until now between what the scientists have been saying behind the scenes and where we've been publicly on this. So at that first press conference, you know, in front of the cameras, Boris is flanked by the chief medical officer, Chris Whitty, on one side and the chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Valance, on the other. At that point, did you, did journalists come away thinking the government has everything under control? I think we, we were largely convinced because Boris was very clearly following the scientific advice and that was the message that was coming through and for Boris to delegate out like that was quite something in its own right he likes control and the people around him like Dominic Cummings like control so this appeared to be total unity between the prime minister the chief scientific advisor and the chief medical officer publicly at least and they were saying that we need to follow the science and that other nations have done shutdowns and things like that it's too soon for that and if we do that now there'll be fatigue Thursday the 12th of March. Confirmed coronavirus cases in the UK, 590. Deaths so far, 10. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families, are going to lose loved ones before their time. And... Uh, the chief scientific advisor will set What changed, I think, were some of the numbers that they started seeing and the kind of the, the way that this pandemic started spreading in Britain, particularly in London. And literally over the course of three days from the Friday of that week to the Monday of the following week, they went from other nations aren't following the science. And there was almost an element of uh, derision from some people I was talking to in government about the approach of Italy and other nations. And then suddenly they were doing exactly what those other nations were doing. They were telling people to socially distance and they were telling people to isolate. The, the change in the policy was dramatic. 
And what happened in those few days? How did everything suddenly switch? I think they'd started seeing some very, very stark numbers. We've done what can be done to contain this disease, and this has brought us valuable time, but it's now a global pandemic, and the number of cases will rise sharply. Looking at the spread in London, they suddenly realised that this was far, far more extensive than had been first thought, and what they realised was that the trajectory in this country was actually in tandem with the trajectory that Italy has. And I think they started to see that data and then they reached a new consensus and that new consensus is where we are now. Friday the 20th of March, confirmed coronavirus cases in the UK, 5,018. Deaths so far, 233. We are collectively telling, telling, cafes, pubs, bars and restaurants to close. Some people may, of course, be tempted to go out. In England, there's been another 53 deaths in the last 24 hours. People are being asked again to stop panic buying. Do you think there is still a lot of criticism, though, that we were going it alone, our, our strategy was different to the rest of the world for so long? I think that when the history books are written, there will be really serious questions about what happened and how it happened there. And some ministers and MPs, I speak to are furious with the scientists. The scientists acknowledge that there was a big row behind the scenes, that they weren't clear on the consensus way forward. But here we are now. I think the question that we have going forward is, will people actually observe this social distancing? I'll be working very hard on Sunday, I can tell you that much. Um... And indeed, even on that, during the press conference, Boris Johnson appeared to infer that he was going to see his mother on Mother's Day. I'll certainly be sending her my very best wishes and hope to get to see her. So we were all like, well, what's that about? He obviously is, can't be saying that. And we had to clarify afterwards that he was going to Skype his mother, that he's not going to see her, of course. So, yes, there's been some confusing messaging from the centre. Boris Johnson's urging people not to visit their parents for Mother's Day, saying staying away. Boris Johnson's also been talking about turning the tide in 12 weeks. Well, by the charts that we look at and the trajectory of this, that's bang in the middle of the peak, 12 weeks. So it's not quite clear how you turn the tide in, tw in 12 weeks. How much of the government's response, do you think, has been influenced by Boris Johnson's own ideology, I guess? I mean, you know, he talked about measures like a lockdown being draconian, is that influencing the way he's approaching this problem? Boris's philosophy has always been one of a social libertarian. He believes people should be able to go out down the pub and have a drink. He believes people should be free from the shackles of the state. But I think he sees what is happening here and he sees the scale of death and the scale of illness. That, that is, um, he sees the, how high the stakes are. And just looking ahead to the next few weeks, you've mentioned that we're only a week or so behind Italy. What can the government do now to protect the UK from from going through what Italy's gone through? I think there could be some significant movement. So this week we'll see the first big change, which is the government is advising 1.5 million people with underlying health conditions who are, are, are pretty ill already, but they will be told to essentially isolate. They will be told to stay inside and not go out at all. And those people will start getting, getting letters from the NHS. And the advice is going to be pretty extraordinary for those people. They will be advised not just to isolate in their own homes, but to isolate from other people in their own homes. So to, to not have contact with their partners, their loved ones, so that is the next phase of this advice.
We now have to take special steps to protect the particularly vulnerable. And you remember that I said we want, that the moment would come when we needed to shield those with serious conditions. And then they're just going to have to see how the shutdown that they implemented last week goes. Is that actually leading to social distancing? You have to stay two metres apart. You have to follow the social distancing advice. And even if you think that you are... In France, for example, you've seen a much wider shutdown and we've heard rumours that there are contingency plans for a much more severe shutdown in the upper echelons of number 10 that are being discussed, but we've certainly not seen anything publicly on it yet. There are suggestions you could get some kind of measure in central London too. So we, we heard last week, for example, that the army could be called in to protect Parliament if lots of police officers go off sick. At the moment, the, the official line from Downing Street has been, we will not do this. We will not require you to have papers to go out in the streets. We will not shut off London, which was one thing that was being mooted the, uh, last week so that people couldn't get in and out of London. But there are, as you can see from Italy, as you can see from France, more severe measures that could be taken. Because at the moment, it's relying on the goodwill of people to follow these rules, but that could change. Chris Whitty, at a press conference the other day that I went to, puts it pretty starkly. He said there are three kinds of death from coronavirus. There is, first of all, the people who die directly that have the condition. Number two, there are indirect deaths which are deaths caused by the fact that people can't get hospital beds with other conditions, so they therefore die. And then there was a third category he put, which was deaths that are caused by the measures that we put in to implement this. So I imagine that might be issues around people getting to hospitals. It's there's some pretty stark stuff out there on this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The government's response to coronavirus has been controversial and a number of public health officials have raised their concerns publicly. What's very clear is that if we have an uncontrolled epidemic, we will get to a situation where the health system will be simply overwhelmed by the number of sick people and it will simply not be able to cope. David McCoy is a professor of global public health at Queen Mary University in London. I'm a public health specialist and a doctor by training. I and many others feel that the, the strategy isn't going far enough at present. Although there have been uh, more stringent measures being implemented to enforce social distancing and to try and create greater isolation amongst households, there are still some gaps that we feel exist in the strategy. And I think one of the key gaps currently is that not much is being done to try and prevent what we might call hotspots within the country, parts of the country where there is already evidence of a very high number of cases, and trying to prevent those areas from affecting those other parts of the country where there is still a relatively low incidence of cases. So we are looking at, for example, wanting to see the government impose clearer and stricter controls 
in terms of travel between different parts of the country. And in particular, I think we need to be looking at how we can isolate London a, a bit more and in order to try and contain the epidemic in London. So basically, you're saying there's a high rate in London. Some people are leaving London because they're worried about it. But we don't know if they might be taking the virus with them. Yes, and that's a really important point. This is actually a very, very difficult epidemic to control. And one of the reasons for that is because it appears that there are lots of people who are infected, but who may remain relatively asymptomatic or may only have a mild um, illness. So what you're saying is that people who are still walking around could be could have the virus and could be passing it on, but they don't realise because they don't show any symptoms yet. That's right, yeah. Um, so this is why there's a requirement to implement more stringent measures. Instead of just quarantining individuals, we're, we're having to consider the quarantining, if you like, of entire populations or entire communities. And that's pretty much what they did in, in, um, in Wuhan in China. Um, they implemented a lockdown of the city. Um, they tried to do that in Italy, and it didn't quite work there. But essentially what you've got to try and do is contain the epidemic in particular geographical areas. It does seem like London is a week or so ahead of the rest of the country. Is that right? How would you describe it? It's certainly ahead of the rest of the country. So for lots of reasons, and you know, not unexpectedly, London is ahead of the country in terms of of the number of cases that we're seeing in hospital. There's no question that London is a major hotspot for the infection in the country at this present moment. Are you surprised that the government hasn't made that clearer or haven't told people not to leave London? I mean, do you think they should? Well, certainly a number of us feel that that was the case. Presently, it appears that the government is adopting a kind of one-size-fits-all strategy to this epidemic and we need to be a little bit more sophisticated than that. And if the government doesn't do that, it doesn't lock down cities, what's your biggest fear? What do you worry might happen? Well, my biggest fear is that um, the NHS is going to be overrun by the uh, volume of sick patients. And we're going to see a lot of burnt-out frontline health workers. We're going to see... Um, health workers dying from this virus because we know that uh, health frontline health workers are also susceptible to a higher uh, case fatality rate. There will be consequences from the damage that we've done to the NHS over the past uh, 10 years or so. I hope that this country will go back, reconstitute the NHS as it should be, which is really a a public service that works to serve in the public interest. Back to Stephen Swinford on how the government is preparing for the worst-case scenario. One of the key things they've done is introducing this emergency legislation, and that has some really draconian powers in it. There are ones that will free up hospital beds, so um, elderly people who have social care needs will be released into the communities sooner than they would otherwise be to free up beds in hospitals. There are some 
pretty draconian police powers in there which give the police the power to detain and quarantine people for uh, a month up to a month if they so wish if they've got symptoms of the disease and then they then confirmed to have the disease there's a bit in it when it talks about giving immigration officers the power to detain people with coronavirus and the, the, the government has acknowledged that that's likely to be highly controversial because it could see immigration officers detaining British citizens away from the borders other things that we're going to see to try to relieve pressure on local authorities is that they there will be a lowering of care standards so they won't have to provide the same standard of care in care homes so they can prioritise their resources. Now these are all powers, they're not there kicking in immediately so I'm not saying this will definitely happen as soon as the legislation is implemented but it gives you an idea of the kind of array of options the government is giving itself. The question on many people's minds this week will be is Downing Street up to the job? Suddenly seismic political juggernaut political decisions are being taken on a daily basis and Downing Street's operating on the edge you know they've got a load of beds upstairs where everyone goes up to sleep in now they've also got a hotel nearby that people are going to to stay in the Prime Minister I'm told is exhausted for a lot of people they either love Boris or they hate him he's a bit of a Marmite politician I think that the fact that he has done these press conferences flanked by the experts each time when the Vote Leave campaign was famous for its disdain of experts, I think that's very telling. Part of Boris Johnson's persona, you know, all the way through Brexit and even before that, even when he was mayor of London, has always been about sort of evoking the blitz spirit and showing, you know, the the pluckiness of, of the British character. Do you think that's almost working against him now? Because every time he speaks... You know, he feels compelled to say things like, I'm still shaking people's hands and people listening to him, you know, across swathes of the country, hear the message and hear the alarm, but want to want to react in a Boris-like way of sort of thinking they'll get through it without having to do anything too draconian. In the early days when the scientists were talking about it, the behavioural scientists said some really interesting things. They said that to get through this, we're going to need a sense of national collectivism. And actually, that is Boris Johnson's calling card, right? That is what he believes in. He doesn't always get it right. There's several times when he's got it wrong, when the language has been in the wrong place. There was famously a call um, which was talking about the ventilator crisis in which he referred to the, the, the operation to get more ventilators is Operation Last Gasp, which was obviously not appropriate language, but it's telling of Boris's humour. And he was talking the other day about squashing the sombrero. His instinct is to be optimistic and to, try, you know, kind of tiggerish about stuff, to try to to try to put humour into situations, but it is difficult because there isn't a lot of humour to be had here. It's a very sober message he's got to give each day. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the Deputy Political Editor of The Times, Stephen Swinford, and Professor David McCoy from Queen Mary's University, London. In these uncertain times, you can access expert analysis on the latest developments in the COVID-19 crisis with The Times' dedicated daily coronavirus newsletter. Sign up for free at thetimes.co.uk slash coronavirus. The producers today were James Shield and Elizabeth Nakano. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. See you tomorrow.